0: Hi. It's good to see you. Um, Don't you love the greeting? Uh, It's like the most hated time for every visitor, so welcome here. Uh, (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Oh, no, i got to shake hands. Um, I need to tell you before I get going here that yesterday I could not get out of bed, so uh, if I fall over right here, you'll know why. It's okay. It's Resurrection Sunday. I'll get back up (laughs) at some point. Look, I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, I want to look at verses 1 to 10 with you. If you're new here, my name is, uh, my name is Jeff Bucknam. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. I've been here for nine months, 10 months, something like that. It's been a real pleasure of mine. So if you've not seen me before, that's that's who I am. Also, uh, you might wonder what in the world is going on with the TV behind me. Are we going to be watching some sports at the same time? Can you imagine? That'd be great. Lots of guys. I'm coming back to church. Um, we're just going to follow the scripture on the screen. So I'm going to be circling some stuff and that kind of thing. So if you didn't bring a Bible with you, it's all cool. We're going to be able to follow along on the, on the screen. Speaking of sports, um, most of us have got A horrible moment uh, in their sports life if you followed any kind of sports at any point in your life you you will have both great stories of great victory and you will have stories of great defeat and the defeats you probably remember more than the victories in many cases because there are more. Um, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan and grew up in the Seattle area and so uh, to be a Seattle sports fan is to get used to the regular stomach punches that come every Every year, you're you're good enough usually to get to the to, to something, and then you lose in the most dramatic fashion. It's like being a Bears fan or a Green Bay Packers fan. You guys know what I mean, right? <laughs> um, there was one year, though, as you might know, that we didn't we didn't lose. Uh, we won the Super Bowl in 2013, and um, I remember at halftime we were at 22 nothing, and I was still telling the people I was with, "We're going to lose this." There's no way, this, is gonna, this doesn't happen to us, we're gonna lose, but eventually we ended up winning. The following year we actually made it to the Super Bowl again. Uh, you will remember that one because it was the worst play call in the history of the world at the end of the game where uh, we miraculously got down to the goal line because one of our receivers ca- caught the ball off his knee. And there we were, ready to destroy Tom Brady, ready to, uh, it, all we had to do, we had this guy, Marshawn Lynch, who was the biggest running back around. He had been do, kind of dominating the whole game. The other team was tired. Everyone in the entire stadium in Arizona knew that the next play was going to be a handoff to Marshawn Lynch, who was going to blast through and was going to win a Super Bowl for us again. Time was dwindling and running out. I remember I was at a, a Super Bowl party and I was standing right next to the TV because I I I've not had these experiences before. Back-to-back Super Bowl champions, it's going to be unbelievable. There's no way that we can blow this. There's no way that we can blow this. Then they came out in this, what's called a spread formation, which is like where they had all the, the receivers way out in the sides, and it did not look like they were going to run at all. And I was like, huh, That's weird. Drop back to pass, Russell Wilson, he threw it to a guy who should have gone in harder to try to catch the ball, but it was intercepted on the goal line, and we lost. I remember standing there wondering what just happened to my life. I turned around, and I was in a room full of people who were like, what? Absolute third-degree stomach punch. When you expect it to go a particular way, they line up for the field goal, and the guy hits it off the post, right, Bears fans? I mean, like, he just, you're... (laughs) Guy can hit every post, but not anything. Third degree stomach punch. You expect it to go a particular way, but then it goes completely the opposite, the way that you did not expect and your worst fears are realized. If you know that feeling, and, and you do, listen, even if you're not a sports fan, you have moments in your life where have been third degree stomach punches. If you know that feeling, you know exactly what it was like for... The disciples, the followers of Jesus, when he died on a cross, he, listen the, they, they joined his team because they believed that he was the Messiah. He, he was the king, he was going to come and he 's going to overthrow the Romans, and the people of Israel are going to have another golden age like they did when it was time with David. He was the guy. they banked everything on this guy. they stood next to the Next to him, watching, thinking, this, there's no way we lose this. This guy can do amazing miracles. And then they show up in the spread formation. <laughs> he dies. You know, I, I imagine, actually, the women felt it the worst. And the reason I say that is because the guys in the story, they just take off. The, the moment Jesus is arrested, they're not to be seen anymore. But the women who followed him, they follow at a distance and so they have a front row seat to everything that's going on. They actually have the courage to walk through the travesty with him. Overwhelming grief. This is their story. Those women, they arrive at the tomb early on Sunday morning, and and this is the way that Matthew, the gospel writer, describes their their story. And in, in this, I'm going to show you three things about the resurrection. Num- number one, that it's true. Second, it's powerful. And third, that it's physical, true, powerful, and physical. So look, let's um let's have a look at the passage itself. Matthew chapter 28, verse one. Now. After the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday, of course, right? After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday, it's not Monday like for us, but Sunday was the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary, they went to see the tomb. That, that's a little weird for us. Like, why would you go see the tomb a couple days afterwards? Um, we are not told by, by Matthew why, but uh, Mark and Luke, actually, the other gospel writers, they tell us why they're going and the reason is that they're they're going to carry these burial spices to the to the tomb. It was a respectful thing to do for the people that you loved, like people in your family, for you to go after or, or either either immediately after or during the burial process. You would cover the body with these burial spices so it would last longer and wouldn't stink. Okay, it was just an act of honor for them. They didn't have a chance to do this prior to the. His, his burial. And so they're going to show up on Sunday and complete what it is that they had not finished. So off they go. Their expectation is that they're going to show up and they're going to be able to do this. In one of the other gospels, the question arises as they're going, uh, we didn't think through the stone. They'd rolled a stone in front of the tomb, the Romans did, and they'd put a Roman seal there, which means don't you dare break this seal or we're going to kill you, Okay. So they're like, ah, we're, we're not sure how we're gonna do this, but we're gonna get there and maybe the guards will let us do it because it's an honorable thing. We're not sure, we're not sure. It is interesting though that it's these two people though, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. <laughs> and he, here's why I think that's re- really, really interesting. That of all the people in all the world that God could have chosen to see the beginning of the new life, right? The resurrection from the dead, the first ones, the ones that he gave the word to so that they would report it to everyone were these two women. Now you say, well, you chauvinist was (laughs) a big deal. Uh, Actually it is a pretty big deal because um, women in the first century were not thought to be too trustworthy. Uh, They were thought to be a little overly emotional and I did not say that. The first century folks said that. they were not to be trusted in the court of law because, you know, they get distracted by bunnies and things or whatever. They, they, they're not trusted to report events. Like if the only people that you have on your side as eyewitnesses are a bunch of women, you're going to lose. You're going to lose. One guy equals a million women. Doesn't matter. They wouldn't even listen to them. And you, and yet here you have the most important story, the most important message in the history of the world that Jesus has risen from the dead and he puts it in the mouths of women. If you were making up a story about the resurrection, okay, so, so let's assume it doesn't happen, the resurrection, and you're going to get in a room together with all your friends and you're gonna say, right, we gotta make it look like Jesus rose from the dead so that we can gain power in our society. This is the viewpoint that many people have had throughout history about the resurrection itself. You're sitting there in the room, and you're going to concoct this idea. If you're sitting around, I will tell you what you do not have. Women being the messengers. You don't do this. No one will believe you about the message. You make, make them men, make them really you know, dignified, important, political men who are trusted by everyone. You don't. You don't. You don't give it to 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 women. This kind of thing, just so you know, happens all over the place. This kind of authenticity to the account. You see, uh, if you if you make it a. You know, If you put, put it in the mouths of women, what you're essentially saying is, is hey, this, this pretty much happened. We would never concoct it this way if we sat around in a room. And so there are other passages of scripture that have that mark of authenticity similarly. This is in John chapter 18. This is when um, Simon Peter, Jesus is being arrested and his follower Simon Peter, he cuts off the ear of one of the, one of the uh, guys who were trying to arrest him. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, he drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off, look, he cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Okay, look, if I'm going to lie to you, here's what, I, I'm going to make sure that I talk in the most broad, uh, unspecific ways about things. Okay? What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to tell you that it was the right ear of the guy because you could go and check. I'm also not going to tell you that his name because you might be able to find out who Malchus is. He happens to be the high priest's servant. You could probably go find him. And then when you found him, you could go and ask him, hey, do you which ear is it? And he'd say, well, my right ear. But this kind of description shows up in the gospel. In the accounts, they're just marks of, of eyewitnesses. Uh, how about this? The doofus of the gang is Peter. (laughs) Okay? If you're gonna write a story so that everybody in the entire world starts thinking that you're really sharp and they're all gonna go and follow you, would you make yourself the doofus? Would would, would you say, hey, I was so stupid that I denied him three times after (laughs) Rooster crowed? Then I took off running. I was a coward. And a failure, like who tells this story? I'm going to be the great hero of the story, and I'm also an idiot. We you, you don't you don't do this. The, the point I'm trying to make is that um, the stories of the resurrection in the gospels have these marks of eyewitness testimony to them, and because they have those they, those marks, the only thing that you can conclude is look, they have an an aura of truth about them. Ah, but you say, wait a minute. There are lots of contradictions in the Bible, right? I mean, especially when it comes to this resurrection. Did you guys know that there are, in, di- in the different accounts of the resurrection, you have different numbers of angels? So in one of them, you've got an angel, two angels who are inside the tomb. Another one, you've got one angel, in this case, who's outside the tomb. You're like, which is it? Like, which is it? See, clearly wrong. Well, well um, I would actually say the different number of angels doesn't really a contradiction make. It's, it, it's not really contradicting anything. Um, and here's why. If I met with you and your spouse later today, and uh, I went home later, and my wife, Jeannie, I said, she said, where were you? It's Easter. What were you doing? And I said, oh, I was meeting with Joe. Am I telling the truth? Let's assume your name is Joe. Am I telling the truth? Well, of course I'm telling the truth. What if my son came in, you know, an hour later, and then he said to me, hey, Dad, what were you doing this afternoon? I said, I was mooting together with Joe and Sarah. Have I lied on either occasion? Well, Well, No. I've told the truth. What if there are five people who are going to retell the account of me meeting together with them? Some people would highlight the fact that Joe was being met with and others might fact, highlight the fact that Sarah is. But both of them were being met with and no account that is being given that includes one or both is a liar. This is the way eyewitness testimony works. When we get you together and we, and, and as a police officer i got to figure out how what happened to the car accident... I'm going to interview you because you're going to have a particular perspective on it. And you might highlight the fact that that one guy, he came through and he had a green Mazda and he went right through the thing. And the next person might not mention the green Mazda at all, but he might talk about the white Ford that was driving way too fast. And what you do is you accumulate the stories together and you realize, oh, together they form a cohesive whole. And each witness gets to speak about a particular aspect of it that they find Interesting that they find surprising that seeks their agenda. This is what you have in the gospel record. What you have is these different eyewitnesses who are giving testimony about what they saw. the The, the gospels themselves show marks of this eyewitness. His right ear got cut off, and his name was Malchus, and his address is one 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 Right Ear Cut Off Lane. Go visit him if you want to check my work. Also, I'm a complete doofus. The varying accounts and presence of women as first reporters of the resurrection signals the truth of it all. The resurrection of Jesus is the most historically verifiable fact in the history of literature. This is Simon Greenleaf. He said, there is enough of a discrepancy to show in the high witnesses' testimonies, there's enough of a discrepancy to show that there could have been no previous concert among them. People didn't get together and say, well, this is the story. This is how we'll tell it. Make sure you include the same stuff. Nope, they never got together and made a plan. And at the same time, such there's enough substantial agreement as to show that they were all independent narrators of the same great transaction. Or to put it another way, the resurrection is true. I'll tell you why I'm making a big deal about this. Um, Because I'm a doubter. I'm a skeptic. I I find uh, the faith to be a difficult thing. The faith in Christ, a difficult thing sometimes to uh, hold on to. And the reason is because sometimes I hear what I'm saying or what I believe, right? I believe that there was a guy who was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And he, he, he came and he was born in, in a barn. I believe this story about a snake talking. I believe a donkey once talked to people. Like, I, I believe a sea was parted. I don't see a lot of that stuff happening these days. I don't. My whole life, I've not seen anything like that. But here I am, a Christian, and I hold to all of these things, these things that are miracles. And sometimes I start, start thinking to myself, how could any of this be actually true? Like, I'm a crazy person. I believe in a sky fairy. And then, I, I got to tell you, I think I'm a reasonable person. I come back to the resurrection of Jesus, and I realize there is no other explanation for this thing. There is no other rational explanation for what happened on that Sunday. If the body was if it, stolen, and it, how did the world change? If it was made up, how did the world change? Why did nobody ever recant? What, what's going on? If it, was a, if it was a massive myth, why is it that we have documents so close to the time that it happened Myths don't develop in that amount of time, especially when you have eyewitnesses around. It it doesn't make any sense. The only answer that you've got is that this guy rose from the dead just as he said. And that throws me into this kind of like, what? It's got to be true. The resurrection is not so much a statement of faith. It's a statement of fact. Right. So, secondly, um, the resurrection is powerful. We got through one verse there, isn't that amazing? We're so we're moving. We are moving. Ugh, now it won't work. Verse two, uh, Matthew twenty-eight. And behold, th- there there was a there was a great earthquake. One of the things you'll find in the Bible is that whenever uh, Whenever God shows up, he tends to bring shaking earth with him. <laughs> uh, so in, in Exodus 19, this passage where God comes down on the top of a mountain, the whole earth shakes, right? Isaiah 6, this, this prophet sees a vision of God and then the whole temple is shaking. If God, God shows up, there's, things are gonna happen. The earth is gonna shake. And in this case, the, an, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. And he came and he rolled, he rolled back the stone. Now, can I, can I just tell you something a little bit interesting about the stone being rolled back? Um, he, the angel doesn't actually have to do this for Jesus to get out of the tomb. Uh, Jesus later is gonna be walking through doors. He goes through grave clothes without any trouble. So I, it's not like Jesus is like, how am I gonna get out of here? You know. What, so why the rolled back stone? Well, basically it's kind of for the eyewitnesses. It's a sign to say, hey, look at the power of God particularly the power of God over the governing powers that put him there. And I know that because of what follows. His appearance was like lightning. In other words, the angels don't look like cricket players. They actually look like angels. They're shining, And the clothing was white as snow. And here's, here's my favorite part. And for fear of him, the angel, single angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This word means quaked. So the earth quakes and then they quake. Um, these are some of the most highly trained people in that particular day. I mean, they're part of the Roman military. They have a particular job to do and that is if the anything comes and happens to the body, they're gonna end up dying. These guys have probably fought in wars. But when the angel shows up, they freak out. But they don't freak out like you and I freak out. Uh, one of the most scary things I've ever seen in my life is a huntsman spider. Do you guys know what a huntsman spider is? If you go to Australia, huntsman spiders are like that, like that big. So go, you can Google it, not now. <laughs> Everybody's gonna be a huntsman spider. Okay, they're huge, these, these spiders. I was uh, in Australia with my, my wife and my, my firstborn child. He was the only one we had at the time and we were going to, this, to a, a wildlife park where a friend of mine worked and he was showing us around, and we got there, and he said, oh, I've got to show you. I might, oh, I've got to show you this. So we, we walked into this area, down a, down a little, like, hallway. The hall, we were outside, right? So it's like, like brick, cinder block walls, then open air, and there was a shed at the end. He opens the shed. He takes a rake, and he looks inside the shed, and he starts hit, hitting the side of the shed. And then out comes, I'm right behind him then my wife and my my son, she's holding him, and then behind them, his wife, his kids and then in front of us, his wife, his kids and him. And out comes this spider that's this big, it's a Huntsman spider, and the moment I saw it, I pushed him, shoved my wife out of the way, (laughs) left her for dead, and I, I took off, man. I took off, right? husband of the year. <laughs> so, there's a kind of fear that makes you leave. Right? There's a kind of fear that freaks you out so much that the first thing you do is you just take off running. I am out of here. Godzilla fear. Mom, done. Right? But then there's a kind of fear that drains every piece of strength from your body so that you, it just you're a, you're a dead man. That's the fear that they've got here. Just, just think about this. A single angel descends and the most powerful people, the representatives of the most powerful government and military in the world at the time fall over because they peed themselves. And they're just, lay, they're just laying there Shaking, quaking. And I love this scene. And the, and the reason I love the scene is, is it's basically Matthew saying, oh really, you guys think, you really do. You think that the powers of the governments of our age, you, you think that the planning and posturing of all of those who are enemies of God are somehow what, gonna, gonna keep him from accomplishing his purposes? Do you actually think that you can put a seal on a tomb and stop God from opening it. Oh no, the Romans might get me, says Almighty God. Absolutely not. And this is what he's essentially saying here. The powers of the day didn't stand up well to God's messenger. A sealed tomb and trained guards never had a chance against the power of God. Death itself could not hold him. There is not a power in the universe that can stand up against the will of our God. You find this in the scriptures in some really fun places. The stuff that God does. We don't think about God this way. In Psalm chapter 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. We're going to have a meeting at the UN and figure out how we're going to stop the Lord and his people against the Lord and against his anointed, right? In this case, Jesus. So saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. You can't hold us, God. He who sits in the heavens, (laughs) he laughs. The Lord holds him in derision. I have a puppy right now. She's lovely. Her name's Lulu. She's a little golden retriever puppy. And one of my favorite things to do is to pin her down. She likes to, you know, chew your hand, so I just pin her down, and she starts freaking out, and I'm like, really? <laughs> you know? You you laugh. Oh, you think you're so tough with, like, gnawing my hand all the time? To deal with this. This is when you wrestle your kids. You you pin them down. Fathers, right? You pin them down. You push them over when they're two years old or whatever, when you're wrestling them, right? And then you lay on top of them, and they're, and, and they're like, yeah hey! and you're like, ha ha, 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 you think you're so great. You come after me, right? You want the thunder? You got it, boy. That's what you do. The Lord in heaven, he laughs. Listen, laughs at what? Laughs at the arrayed powers of the world over against him. ha, 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 ha. look at you guys. You're so cute. 1 Corinthians 15, it's not just the powers of, of it's not just the powers of the of our of our world, it's even the big powers. Death itself can't hold him. When when the perishable puts on the imperishable, this is 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul is talking about the resurrection body. All right? That we as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, we will receive a resurrection body. That's our, that's our goal, as you'll see in just a second. When the perishable, our bodies now, puts on the imperishable, our bodies then, after the resurrection, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. One of the greatest sayings in the entire Bible, you should post that one, this one on your, on your mirror. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, here comes the taunt. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? What you got? What you got, death? What you threaten me and my family and everybody I know. You think that you're the final word? Where's your sting? <laughs> you're cute, death. Is that all you got? You can hear the taunting, right? Listen, most of us this time of the year we always remember. If, you've, if you even just have to be around the Christian circle a little bit, and one of the things that you know quite well is. Uh, This old sermon by a guy named S.M. Lockridge. He was the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego for about 40 years in the 20th century. And he has this wonderful, wonderful sermon where he just starts to give it. And it's called Sunday's Coming, right? So at one point, and he says, it's Friday, hope is lost. Death has won, sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laughing." It's Friday, Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday, it's only Friday. It's Sunday, it's coming. (laughs) Okay. Okay, here's the reason I want to tell you all this and really convince you that this is the way you ought to view your world, right, is that, is that this is not it, that death doesn't have a final say over you, that the powers and the authorities of the world that hold you down, that they don't have the final say. Jesus has the final say. Here's why you need to know this, because everything about your life right now depends on how you view your future. Everything. The way you live in this present moment has everything to do with how you think your future is going to go. Viktor Frankl was, was the name of a, um, a psychologist actually, he was in the Nazi death camps, you know, Auschwitz. And he survived them and after he survived them, he got out and he asked, the, he asked the singular question that came up in his mind repeatedly when he was in the death camps and it was, here's the question. Why did some people survive and others did not? Like I watched these people and some were able to make it and others just fell away. He told this story about this one particular guy who had a dream one night and the dream was that the war was gonna end like very soon. And he woke up the next morning and he's like, I've seen a vision. The war's gonna end, the war's gonna end. And this guy who was really dour and sad, of course, all of a sudden he took this you know, he has this great excitement and joy because it's going to end. It's going to end. Days went by. He was sure it was going to end. But then they started getting news from the outside as new prisoners would come in. And they, the prisoners say, there's no way that the war is going to end. It's getting actually worse and not better. And so this guy starts to feel sadder and sadder at the reality that his, his dream wasn't, wasn't actually real or wasn't telling the truth. And on March 29th, he got sick. On March 30th, he lost consciousness. And on March 31st, he died. And Frankl's trying to make sense of this. Like, what happened to him? He has this wonderful saying it's that, it's this a life in a concentration camp exposes your soul's foundation see only a few of the prisoners were able to keep their full inner liberty and inner strength life only has meaning in any circumstance if we have a hope that suffering circumstances or death itself cannot destroy look hear him Life only has meaning in any circumstance if we have a hope that suffering circumstances and death itself cannot destroy. The only people in the universe who have a hope like that are Christians. And most of the Christians who have a hope like that forget a lot that we have a hope like that. And so we get down and in the morass of our present moment, we get stuck in that moment and we wonder, how is this ever going to end? And all that should happen in your mind, especially on Easter, is to think the stone was rolled away, the, the guards were left for dead, there's not a power in the universe that will hold him back from accomplishing what he said he would accomplish for us. Sunday's a coming. All right, along that line, here's what's gonna happen on Sunday. Uh, the resurrection is physical. So I remember a resurrection is true. The resurrection is powerful and the resurrection is, is physical. So let me show you the last part of this passage. Verse five, the angel said to the women, don't be afraid for, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He, he's not here. Isn't this lovely? Don't be afraid. The other guys, he didn't say that too. <laughs> Right? who was crucified, he, he's not here for he has risen as he said. This is a little bit of a rebuke, you know that? You should have you believed it. Okay, I know it's hard to believe that he was gonna rise from the dead, but he told you guys an awful lot that he was going to. Christian, he's also told you an awful lot he's gonna return in power. And he will, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he, he's going before you to Galilee, and there you'll see him. See, I, I've told you. So, so they departed quickly from the tomb with, with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And, and behold, Jesus met them. And said, this is a great line, this word in Greek, which is what this is written in, is, is a, it's a different, it's not like greetings, you know, like in a formal way. It's more like the thing you'd say just, you know, as passing to people, what's up? Like, seriously, I that, that kind of thing. so Jesus, risen from the dead, shows up and he's going, what's, what's good? You know, like, <laughs> and they... <laughs> And they came up, and look what they did. They, they took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to him, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Um, wait a minute. They took hold of his, his feet. They took hold of his feet. So they, like, reached out and physically grabbed his feet. Like, and when they grabbed the feet, the feet were the feet. The feet weren't like some, like, reached through them, ooh, ooh like Casper, ooh. Now you might think, "Oh, big, big deal. Um, well, you can't grab the feet of a hallucination or a disembodied spirit. The resurrected Christ was, was physical. This is something that the scriptures really do want to help you understand, and there's a reason for it. Uh, John chapter 20. Jesus comes into the upper room. Thomas has been saying, "I listen, I won't believe." I won't believe it, that he rose from the dead unless I can put my fingers in the place where, his, where, where the, he was nailed in his hands or touch the side where he was speared. Jesus shows up, says to Thomas, Hey Thomas, how's it going? You want to put your fingers here right now? And Thomas does. He puts his finger on his hand and on his side, fit physically. Jesus in John 21, he's on the side of a lake, and Peter comes swimming in, and they stand there and they eat. Jesus eats fish. That's what physical bodies do. You eat fish, if you're crazy, but if you eat fish. The point is that some, some people think that the Christian hope, okay, that our future is a disembodied bliss, but our hope is physical bodies on a physical earth. Hear Hear me. Physical bodies on a physical earth around the time of Jesus, right after he resurrected, there was kind of a false teaching that showed up. And the false teaching was what they called Gnostics. The Gnostics had this funky way of thinking. They believed actually that that Jesus, there's no way Jesus would be physical because physical stuff is worthless. It's only the spiritual stuff that really matters. And so they have this great different stories about, you can read them, stories about how he didn't blink, which is my favorite thing ever. You know, come follow me. like, look away. (laughs) I don't want to see. He floats when they go in front of him. He leaves no no, um, footprints in the sand. He just floats. So they had all these stories that Jesus was this disembodied thing because the goal of all of our lives is a release from our our bodies, right? Like if you ask people right now, if you ask young people, say, hey, we want you to draw heaven for me. Draw heaven. Sometimes they're going to do it like, there was an artist or a cartoonist when I was a kid named Gary Larson. He actually drew a, a picture of heaven and it was a guy on a, on a cloud with a harp. And on the bottom it said, I wish I would have brought a magazine, right? So it's, it's this disembodied, look, we're gonna be sitting there and just like looking around in he- you know, and there'll be nothing fun, right? You won't be able to watch baseball. You won't be able to go and for a run. You won't be able to ride your bike. No steak, it's just sitting there. It's a disembodied bliss, and we sing. We sing songs like this. Some of the great hymns of the Christian past embrace this idea. Uh, here's one. I'll fly away. I am not singing it, although I'm tempted. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. Oh, here it comes. To that home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. So what's what's the hope? Well, the hope is that you'll fly away. That look, heaven is somewhere all there and you're gonna leave your body behind and bleep, and you know, away you go. And yet this is not, so not Christian. So not Christian. Like Jesus, listen, like Jesus, our future is Physical. He was what we call the first fruits of those who've been, who's, who've been raised from the dead. That means the first fruits. I mean, the, 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 the early harvest that gives signal that the rest is on its way. But the first fruits and what follows are the same thing. If he rose physically, we rise physically. The Christian hope is a resurrected body. And this is very, 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 very important because, look, not only the creation, but we ourselves, Romans 8, who have the first fruits of the spirit. We, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope, we were saved. What's the hope in this hope? The redemption of our bodies. What are we hoping for? The renewal of our bodies and also the renewal of all things. And between now, Friday, and Sunday, we what? We groan inwardly. The hardest um, moment of my life was when I sat next to my mother holding her hand when she died she, um, she was diagnosed with a form of uh, leukemia, but they said, oh, it's gonna, it's, you know, she'll die of old age before that she dies of leukemia. So we didn't really worry about it very much. Um, I gave a phone call early, early one morning. It was my dad telling me, your mother's had a fall. She's in the hospital. Come and see her, right? Well, what had happened in the middle of the night, she had woken up and she'd gone to the bathroom and when she was coming back, she basically blacked out between the bathroom and the bed. And on the way was a corner of a dresser. And she fell over and hit her, hit her head on the dresser. Brain bleeding. They said after a while that it was probably because the, the leukemia had advanced more and she was having these mouth ulcers and different things. And so they said this is probably what had happened. It had caused her to black out. She was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. There at the first, it was like, oh, she's gonna be able to make it, right? And then one Wednesday, I think it was that she, I got a phone call from my sister who said she took a massive turn for the worse. And I'd show up and her eyes were looking different directions and you could just tell that she was you know, basically brain dead, but still breathing. It was so overwhelming for so many of us that I ended up being the only person who stayed the night before she died. And I stayed there in that room and uh, laid on the couch next to her bed and I would hold her hand as she would uh, gargle for air. She couldn't cough. You You could just hear the body just shutting down. It's the worst night of my life. She died the next morning. I had actually gone to, to have a shower, and I came back. And she, she had died while I was gone, typical of my mother. I don't want you to see this. You know. I remember sitting there after all that, um, being so mad. Not a God, but a de- just a death. It's vicious. Vicious destroyer. I've had to live with that for the last 10 years of my life, the knowledge that my mom's not here. I wanted my kids to grow up and be held by her and all that sort of stuff, but life took a hard right turn and uh, it's been hard to get it back. But I hate death. I hate it. But the resurrection of the dead, physical resurrection of the dead, means that the body that was laying there, the hand that I was holding overnight. It's not the last time I'm gonna hold that hand. What it means is uh, that there is a day, there's a day that's coming when this will happen. I saw new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God Himself will be that with them as their God, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former. Things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You want that new world. I know you do. Every day of your life, your heart and soul sing for it. And what I'm telling you is that because of Easter, if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and decide that you're going to follow him, for the rest of your days here, you will follow him in his resurrection from the dead and you will be part of the renewal of all things. Can you imagine, can you imagine what that will be like? So yes, Jesus, make it all new. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for your kindness, for the resurrection of the dead, for the knowledge that all the suffering and pain and heartache that we experience in the present time will be a distant memory, a short, distant memory <laughs> in light of the eternity we have. It occurs to me, of course, that there's lots of people who show up to church on, on weekends like this and um, who might not know you, who might kind of hold you at arm's length a little bit. I pray, Father, that your spirit would come upon them, would convince them, not just of the truth of the resurrection, but its power, And I pray, Father, that uh, you, by your spirit, convict them of their sin. They turn away from who they are and they choose to follow you all the rest of the days of their life so they may also follow you in the resurrection from the dead. It's in that hope, Father, that we pray and yearn. In Jesus' name we pray.